Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for March 31st, 2019. During this season of Lent, Russ Dean will speak on misunderstanding, identifying the problem, and Amy Jacks Dean will speak on understanding, seeking an answer. Their topics today are Misunderstood Reconciliation by Russ and Relationship is Everything by Amy. was summer. The last week of May, the first week of June, I packed my little Dodge truck and I headed to Pickens, South Carolina. And from there I found Highway 178 that runs up to Brevard and I drove six windy, twisty miles up the road and I turned left at the sign that says McCall RA Camp, a camp owned and operated by the South Carolina Baptist Convention. And that was my home for the next nine summers. If you didn't grow up Baptist or didn't grow up Southern Baptist, you might not know RAs. The Apostle Paul said, we are ambassadors for Christ. And out of that admonition, Baptist created a boys' organization called Royal Ambassadors. It's kind of like Baptist Boy Scouts, you know. It's a mission, education, and Baptist boys' organization. And for nine years, I spent my summer working at McCall RA Camp. For the last three years, we had one girl on staff. Her name was Amy. They called her Love Boat. It's a moniker she's glad has not stayed with her. (laughs) They called me Dino. That's a little better than Love Boat. (laughs) I spent nine years working at McCall RA Camp and loved every minute of it. Um, It's been a sad thing for me. Uh, When Amy and I moved to Charlotte, um, the camp director, who is still a friend of ours, called me, and for the first two or maybe three summers, he invited me to be the Lad Camp pastor. Lad Camp was for first, second, and third graders. They came for two nights with a bunch of men from their church, and so I got to go. Uh, Jackson was old enough for me to take him with me, and so I took our older son to camp for two days, and the third year, Cliff called me, and he said, Dino, I'm sorry, but my boss says I can't invite you to come to camp anymore because you go to Park Road Baptist Church. And Park Road Baptist Church, my boss is from Charlotte, and he knows that church. And he says, that's, that's the most CBF church in Charlotte. <laughs> They're laughing because we just, as a congregation, voted to leave the CBF because of their hiring policy, um, which was not uh, inclusive. And uh, I said to Cliff, if he only knew how wrong he was, if he only knew how much of an Alliance Baptist Church we are and how little of a CBF church we are, but um, I'm too liberal to preach to first, second, and third graders at McCall RA camp. And so I have had no contact with my home for all these nine years, for for those nine summers, for, for most of the last 20 years. It's been sad for me. I spent nine summers, and every night of the week, Ten weeks a year for nine summers, I walked up the long hill to the White Chapel on the top of the mountain overlooking Lake Chili Water and Goat Mountain. And I sat down to the piano and I played for the staff choir, uh, 20 college-age guys, and we were pretty good. It was a, a thrill for me to be able to lead that choir. And I listened to some pastor from around the state of South Carolina talk. And I took notes. I found this box this morning that has nine notebooks in it. It's all the notes from every sermon I listened to for nine summers at McCall RA camp. I thought about it because I've often thought I'd like to go back and chart 
these sermons. There might be some illustrations I could use even at Park Road Baptist Church. Um, and it would be interesting to see what text the pastors chose. And I can guarantee you the one that was the most familiar, the most used sermon text for a sermon at McCall R.A. Camp was Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. The prodigal son might be Jesus' most familiar parable. I've heard it hundreds of times. You probably have too. This morning, we got a text. Amy and I got a text from my preacher camp group. That's the six pastors who gather each summer together and spend time together. And every Saturday night, their text going on. What are you preaching? What are you saying about this? I need an illustration. I need some help. This morning, John said, do you find that these texts that you know so well and everybody knows so well, are they easier to preach or because you know them so well, does that make it harder? And Jim replied, you know, he said, I thought about a story that I heard as a child. There was a man who walked into the movie theater, and he sat down, uh, and, and the curtains opened. When I thought about that this morning, do you remember going and sitting at the movie theater, and the curtains opened before the movie played? It's a crazy thing. Why would they open, close curtains on the screen? But anyway, I thought about that from my childhood, <laughs> sitting down and watching the curtains open, and then before the movie played, you know, there are some, some previews, and Jim said the man sat down and there was the preview or the promotional ad from Metro Goldwyn Meyer, you know, the gold lion who roars, and that came up on the screen, and the man saw the golden lion, and he got up and he stomped out. He said, I've seen this one before. <laughs> well, you've heard this story before, but maybe we can learn something new from it today. From Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. Now don't make this sound like this isn't about you because it's about tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees and scribes. This is about you. This is about us. Jesus is talking to us. They said, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them a parable. Jesus said to them, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. Now you have to stop here and you have to ask the audacity of a younger son in this day to ask what was his. The law of primogeniture said that the older son received the father's inheritance and everybody else, well, too bad. And so the young son comes to the father and says, give me what is mine. And the father ought to have said, what do you mean what is yours? But instead, the father gathered up what was his and he divided his property between them. And a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. Oh, Southern Baptist preachers used to love to talk about dissolute living and all, all that this boy did while he was out there sinning, you know, in the distant country. I'll spare you this morning. You can imagine. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out, himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. Now, can you imagine any worse humiliation for a good Jewish boy than to find himself at home among the swine? 
eating the food of these animals who were regarded as unclean. But when he came to himself, he had a moment of clarity, a moment of conversion, and we all need them. Whether you walk the aisle and give your heart to Jesus, whether you get saved, whether it's a moment that you have sitting in the pew, a moment that you have driving in your car, a moment that you have in the silence we offer you every week at confession, everybody needs moments of conversion, and this boy had one. Sitting there among the swine, he came to himself, and he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger? I will get up, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. The Greek word compassion is akin to the word, is related to the word for bowels, guts. The father felt for his son. He didn't just see him. That's how parents understand their children. That's how we relate to them. We feel for one another. And Jesus used this word, or the scripture used this word often, of Jesus' compassion He felt for them. So the father had compassion. And the father ran, more about that in just a moment, ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted him, did not even let him finish his apology. And he said said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the very best one, and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. But the plot thickens. Now, his elder son was in the field. Of course, the elder son is the one who was due the father's birthright. He had never left home. He had been faithful and hardworking and dedicated all these years. And when the older son came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. And the slave said, well, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then the older son became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he won't even call him his brother, when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we have to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. There's a lot in this story. A lot that we could talk about. A lot to say, which is why it's one of Jesus' best parables, most used, most preached parables 
So much to learn of all that we misunderstand about forgiveness and reconciliation, about family and community and grace and goodness and God. So much. Last summer, as I outlined this preaching series at my preacher camp week, I wrote down these words. Misunderstood reconciliation. Do we really believe in forgiveness? If the brother squanders his inheritance but comes, comes home, can we ever trust that he is reformed? Parentheses, implications for our criminal justice system. The younger brother returns, but the older faithful brother cannot accept him back in the family. He doesn't trust or maybe he's just jealous. He is incensed that his father would forgive. Understanding a God who truly welcomes, who loves unconditionally, it is, is almost impossible for a society so deeply mired in vengeance and retaliation with such a badly jaded notion of criminal, quote, justice and so deeply immersed in a culture of individualism. The point of the story is God welcomes, God forgives, God trusts. Do we? There's a lot that could be said here about this text and about our society, about what we are becoming, about how we are being led. So much about forgiveness and compassion and grace, the love of God and the way of Jesus. But all I want to say to you this morning is that we have misunderstood so much about forgiveness, which is always just about one person. No one has to ask for your forgiveness for you to offer it. No one has to receive your forgiveness for you to offer it. Forgiveness is about one person. And the person that gets the most out of forgiveness is the person that offers the forgiveness. Forgiveness is always about one thing, one person. We've misunderstood a lot about reconciliation, which is always about more than one person. But perhaps what we have misunderstood most is that reconciliation begins with welcome, period. The father did not build a fence to keep his son out. The father stood at the gate day after day after day. That's the only way he could have seen him coming from a distance is that he was there day after day after day waiting, hoping, longing, praying that his son would come back. And when his son came to his senses, the father ran. I say ran to him. In this Middle Eastern culture, a culture steeped in, uh, in hierarchies, and codes of conduct and rules about class. It was beneath the dignity of an elder to show such respect to any young person. Fathers did not run to their children. Fathers did not bow down to their sons. But Jesus says God runs to welcome. The father did not need the boy's groveling petition for forgiveness before the father could forgive. He did not need the boy to serve his time, to do his penance. That's just how God's justice works. The welcome comes first. We must lead with compassion, always. Is that what you're hearing today? 
Do you hear people leading with compassion before the conversations about restitution and punishment and penance? The welcome comes first. We must lead with compassion. The opening meditation in your bulletin says, It is our daily task in life to find a way to forgive these errors in ourselves and in others without ignoring or diminishing the wrong that has been done. And if the crime is so great that we cannot find it in our hearts to offer forgiveness, at least we can take the first steps. If you cannot forgive, at least you can take the first steps toward healing. Perhaps with time and the grace of God, forgiveness too will result and maybe reconciliation. God takes the first step. Nothing comes before the offer of welcome. That's why we call it grace. Have we misunderstood? Two quick caveats. Some of you are already thinking, but what about the super unhealthy and toxic relationships that you need to wipe the dust from your feet and move on? I'm not talking about the toxic, unhealthy relationships that are destructive. So that caveat. The second caveat is I never can talk about forgiveness and reconciliation without saying that somewhere along the line, I wish I could give credit to whose idea this is, it's not original with me, but the phrase forgive and forget is the worst phrase ever because you cannot forget. And when you cannot do one of the things in the, in the situation, it implies that you can't do the other. So forgive and forget. Well, I can't forget, so I guess I can't forgive. So instead, the phrase should be forgive and remember. Because every single time you remember, you get the chance to forgive again. And forgiveness is one of the greatest gifts ever. Here's what I don't like about that story Russ just read. Don't get me wrong. This is one of the best stories in all of Scripture. It is the quintessential passage about forgiveness, acceptance, mercy, grace, love, welcome. It is informative for how we are to understand how God is at work in this world with us and with all of God's children. God is that one that sees us coming. And before we can even reach the door of confession, God is already running towards us filled with compassion. God's arms wrap around us and we are met with a holy kiss. When we are at our lowest point, it is God who sees our beauty and it is God who notices our goodness. God has no need to rehash it all. I love rehashing. God does not deal in guilt. I like a little bit of guilt every now and then when someone has wronged me. God deals in relationship, and relationship is everything. God simply welcomes. It's one of the greatest stories of all time, but here's what I don't like about the story. We only catch a glimpse of the initial reunion. We don't get to see how messy and difficult 
reconciliation really is. The story really falls short. On a much smaller scale, this is how it works. Your eight-year-old gets lost in the department store. You're scared out of your mind. You find security guard. You stop everyone you see. You call out the name of your child over and over, louder and louder. You are almost in a full-on panic until your child walks up engaged with their cell phone, lost in time and space. And at once, you race to your child envelop the child in your arms you shed a few tears of relief while smothering the child in kisses you thank everyone who has gathered for helping you to find this child that was lost and you send them on their way knowing oh the child was found you think to look up to the heavens and thank god that all of your worst nightmares did not come true and that is when the lightning bolt hits you that the story doesn't include. How many times is this child going to be so clueless, irresponsible, and oblivious? How many times have you told this child to stay right by your side and not get out of your sight? How many times will that phone be a distraction to your child? You are so going to take it away. We don't get that part of the story. Surely it happened. We call it the story of the prodigal son. It's really misnamed. It's supposed to be the story of the welcoming father. We don't get to see how their story plays out. We don't know if the father ever tells the son of his pain and disappointment and fear. We don't know if the younger son ever becomes wayward for just a minute or two again. We don't get to see the messy work of reconciliation. Relationship is everything in this story, but let's be honest about it. Relationship is the hardest work there is. Reconciliation is a difficult task. Forgiveness is not easy. This story is full of welcome, reconciliation, forgiveness, mercy, and love. But the how-tos are simply missing. We only get step one of the process. Welcome. What are steps two, three, and four? We do love to get ahead of ourselves, don't we? Let's admit it. We don't know how to do step one yet. Why are we so anxious for two, three, and four? Why do we get so hung up on what comes after the welcome part, though? Where do I get to unload? Where do I get to rehash? Where do I get to beat that horse, bury it, dig it back up, and beat it again? <laughs> Isn't that what makes for a good parent? This works for all systems, though. This step one. Families, churches, neighbors, co-workers, 
institutions, even governments and nations, in all systems, relationship is everything. From how we welcome the immigrant to how we welcome the stranger to how we welcome anyone that is other to how we welcome the released prisoner to how we welcome the recovering addict. If we could just master step one of relationship, then maybe we would be ready for the next steps. But we jump the gun and we get ahead of ourselves and plow right into the messy work of reconciliation, which is most often too difficult because we never started with welcome. And then we give up and move on because it was too difficult. We want explanations, but then we label those as excuses and we cut no slack. We want apologies and restitution, but then we do not count them as sincere and we hold grudges. We want promises that this will never happen again. And then we keep a record of wrongs and fail to trust. One confessional story. When I first became a pastor, you know the the one that someone asks to see when they stop by the office looking for help? Well, on day one, and probably for the next 1,095 days, my attitude towards those coming to ask for money for food or bus tickets or gas for their car or help with their rent or a hotel for one night, my response for those first few years was always welcome. I tried to help everybody. I at least listened to their whole story and tried to make connections for them. We kept bus passes and Harris Teeter gift cards and small bags of minimal food in the office so we could at least give them something. I was totally living the welcoming father pastor. But after about the first three years, I became jaded and suspicious. I could tell you so many times when I had been taken advantage of. And there were times that I offered to do something and it wasn't enough and they would get angry, hang up the phone, storm out. And then there were the times that I completely overinvested, got too caught up and lost way too much sleep and spent too much time. So much so that at the cusp of 20 years of being the person they ask for when they come to the door, I often find myself trying to keep quiet. Maybe they won't know I'm here. I too quickly say we cannot help. I finish their story in my mind because if I give them a chance to tell it, I'm not going to trust that they're telling me the truth or at least not the whole truth. And let's be honest, I can finish their story for them because I've heard it a thousand times. As I've considered these words this week about reconciliation, forgiveness, mercy, love, welcome in the context of relationship. I realize how often I do such a poor job with simply doing step number one. Welcome to Park Road Baptist Church. I am not so busy that I cannot stop and hear your story. 
I am not so important that I cannot brainstorm and troubleshoot creative solutions with you. My job is to offer lavish welcome in all of my relationships without counting the cost. That is the lesson from the story of the welcoming father. But I'm better at being the older brother who enumerates how unfair it all is. I'm better at listing my hurts. I'm better at holding a grudge. Oh, I can hold a good one. My dad taught me how. I'm better at keeping a record of wrongs. But I just don't think I'm alone. Am I? That's where you all go, no. You're not alone. In every system, from families to churches to nations, relationship is everything. So could we, just for today, commit to step one? That's it. Just work on your lavish welcome. It is the only way to get to the messy work of reconciliation. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.